Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, another edition of On the Blood Trail. Uh, it's been a little while since the last podcast, and uh, some other stuff was supposed to be happening kind of in between then and now that hasn't really happened, and well, kind of did anyway. Um, but first and foremost, on today's podcast, uh, we got a guest. Uh, my brother Ryan is joining us today. Hey, Ryan. Hey, how's it going, Tyler? Glad to be here. Yeah, it's cool. We've been talking about doing this for a little while and it just hasn't uh, hasn't happened, but had a chance to make it go today. Um, so some of the stuff that was supposed to happen between the last podcast and now was uh, the Alabama hunt, which I was pretty disappointed because they decided to change a whole bunch of the travel rules with the, the nonsense that we're living in right now. And uh, it just didn't make sense for me to go and and partake in this hunt and uh, Spencer still decided to go and make a trip out of it uh, you got to go still and uh, dad decided to join you um, so just quickly what did you think of the hunt uh, to be honest I didn't really know what to expect going into it but it turned out to be a good hunt but I think the only reason it turned out to be such a good hunt was because of the effort that we put forth you know when we got into the you know into the stand on the first morning we were out of position on the deer. Uh, definitely bow hunting was completely out of the question at that point. And we, we had to, we had to grind it out. We, uh, when we finally spotted some deer on that first morning, we moved our stands. We, you know, we spent hours, you know, sometimes every day on that trip, relocating and scouting out where we were supposed to be. And I know it's the outfitter's job, but uh, in this case, the outfitter didn't really put us on top of the deer. He put us kind of close to the deer and we had to put ourselves on top of them, unfortunately. And you didn't really get a whole lot of chances on big deer there, did you? Man, I, you know, it's hard to say uh, if I were to try to count offhand how many deer I actually could have killed on that entire trip. We were both given uh, a permit to shoot one buck and one doe on that hunting lease. Now, the way it works in Alabama is that the leaseholder can make their own set of regulations as far as like, you know, like hunting regulations go. So in Alabama, I can't remember how many bucks and does it is. It's a lot. You can shoot tons of bucks and does on your hunting license but when you're on a specific lease they can limit you to what you can shoot so in this case we were limited to one buck and one doe and in that entire trip i'd be shocked if i get a shot more than two or three does and more than two bucks yeah so that makes uh, made it so that the buck that you did end up shooting you, you wanted to make sure that you took advantage of the chance hey eh? well of course and what had happened was uh I was actually trying, I was bow hunting. I mean, you go down there with the intent to bow hunt and you, you have your bow in hand and you want to hang in there as hard and as long as you can. But when you get put into a situation like we were in, we're down in this real thick kind of hardwood slash planted pine bottom. And it's thick down there. I mean, it's not as thick as Alberta, but I mean, it, it's thick enough that 50 to 75 yards, you lose all sight. And you wouldn't know if anything was there. You might catch a glimpse of 75 through the right angle in the trees, but I mean, it's pretty rare. And this bucket, I caught a glimpse at him about 60 yards kind of cruising. He was coming pretty much straight at us. And he just kind of, there is a bit of a washer drain kind of coming down the valley between us and him. And he went the low road and I'm thinking it was more so for the cover aspect of it because it was a lot more open kind of pine where we were. And as he went down, it was kind of more of a willow bottom. And I had, come to full draw with my bow and I had had a previous experience while mule deer hunting with you in November 
-hmm. that I wasn't able to get my anchor point quite where I wanted it. My shot was way out to lunch and I encountered the kind of a similar situation here and I couldn't get my anchor point and I only had about three seconds to shoot, but because I couldn't find my anchor point, I wasn't going to let the, you know, let the arrow go unethically since I had already experienced what that was like when I couldn't, you know, quite connect with my anchor point and get comfortable with my shot. I'm confident with my shooting abilities and especially on target, but I was into a situation where, you, you know, you're, you're playing odds that are not in your favor. We had come from an Arizona hunt where it was quite warm. So we were quite climatized to the warm, you know, a lot of sun, quite, you know, a, a lot hotter of an atmosphere. And I was thrown into this situation in Alabama where it was 32 degrees Fahrenheit, zero, you know, degrees Celsius. And, and there was quite a wind chill. So we were bundled up pretty tight. And now uh, when that buck came in, I couldn't get my anchor point. And uh, because of the previous experience, I let down my bow and, you know, dad was behind the camera and he just said, you know, we don't want to let this buck escape because this was day two. And, you know, we only have six days. We knew the weather was going to get poor on day five and six, pretty heavy, you know, cold rain fronts were coming in and that was going to suppress the deer movement. And so I grabbed the, we were actually, we had borrowed the guide's gun. It was a, a 300 Winchester short mag. I'm not sure what bullets were coming out of it, but because of the ammo shortage in the United States, we actually only had, I think it was four bullets. He gave us four bullets and I think they were all different caliber, like all different grainages. And uh, so we were trying to make every shot count. And this buck kind of, he, he went from about 30 yards, kind of going on a 45 away from us, went down into the river bottom, probably about a 60 foot drop in elevation difference from us. And then you could add the 25 feet were up in the trees. So this deer, you know, he's quite a ways down there, you know, as far as the eye perspective goes. And I just put the, you know, put the crosshairs on him. I stopped him. He said, yeah, I'm on him. And, you know, I let the shot go and it was a good shot. It was a little bit low, but I think given that I was in a tree stand, that's just kind of where, you know, I've always found when you find that spot where you're comfortable and you're like, yeah, this is where I'm going to make it happen. You just pull the trigger on that spot. And it was a low shot. It took his heart out and most of his lungs, but he made it probably 80 to hundred yards across the Creek and he instantly went down. So, I mean, it was a great hunt, but the challenge of it, was really that in that day on day two is when we harvested both of our bucks and those were the only two deer we saw in that entire day and if you weren't scouring the bush and and really paying attention and staying focused and you know like there's you know in today's world it's pretty easy to jump on your phone when you're in the tree stand but there's you know that wasn't an option it's so thick and I remember when I spotted dad's buck man he was in the nastiest thickest junk and it, it was just a miracle that I even spotted him really because the way my tree stand was set you know I had to look over my shoulder and and down the hill and it, you know it was a tough hunt you know as much as people want to believe when they see all the the great quality footage and, and all these deer on the on, you know on these edited hunts that we do it's not always the reality of the hunt lots of times that's just the best of what happened it's not necessarily how it all happened yeah it's a lot of just making sure that you can make it count and 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 make your own opportunities a lot of the time too. And dad shot a dandy of a buck and I'm excited to sit down and talk with you guys both about um, the full experience of Alabama. Um, now you touched on uh, just coming from Arizona and I got to sit with you on your coos deer hunt and watch you harvest your first coos buck. Um, <laughs> it was a fun hunt and I'm sure we could do a whole podcast just talking about that. Yeah. Um, but just just quickly, what did you think of that? I I know I did my um my last podcast was talking about my coos deer and and my experience with it, and I loved it. But uh, what did you think? 
man, you know, I can't tell if it's the persona that everybody carries behind coos deer hunting or whether or not it's the coos deer themselves that get you so rattled, but I've never been in a hunting situation where such, you know, I guess a, a stature wise, such a small animal gets you so hyped up. It's really incredible. You know, when you come to full draw on a coos deer, you get really amped up, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I, it's, it's weird because people hype up different things uh, like the Alaskan Yukon moose. And I've been on an Alaskan Yukon moose hunt. Uh, shot a huge bull um and it like it's a lot of hype and it's a fun hunt it's just i i don't know i sometimes i feel like i had more fun hunting moose in alberta for out of the same time frame you see more it might not be the same quality of animals but it seems like with coos deer they actually live up to the hype that everybody throws at them so i really enjoyed that part of it you know i gotta agree with you you know given that i've only ever been able to hunt in the yukon once and uh it was the first morning deal. It was pretty much the first moose we seen. I was able to harvest him. He was a beautiful bull. He was 52 inches wide. But in that situation, if you were to put that on YouTube, it really was as easy as it looked. Yeah. Other than the fact of, of getting to the Yukon and, and doing the 12-hour quad ride, which we did into the backcountry, which was really difficult to get those, those ATVs into the backcountry given the terrain. But other than that, it was really quite an easy hunt. Now, I'm not sure if that's just because the moose don't get hunted very much, which I'm pretty sure it probably is. But it just doesn't give you that amped up experience quite like when a coos deer is coming in. That's even given that we were sitting on a watering hole seeing 200 headed deer in a day. But when that one buck came in, man, it didn't matter if I was behind the camera or if I was behind my bow, I was rattled every time. Oh, you're on pins and needles. From the time you see them to the time they go out of your sight line, whether it was a miss, a kill... Uh, just them leaving you just you didn't want to move even with the does you get a group of does come in and you just you don't want to move you don't want to give yourself away it's just a, a very pins and needles type situation where you just you never know what's going to happen in that time frame yeah exactly actually a little uh story not to give away too much while we were in arizona there this was just after you had left and gone back to alberta but it was me and dad we were still sitting on the water hole and uh we were moving our blind because the wind direction was really, it was, it, it was kind of a strange thing because we were beside a mountain, but we were still quite a ways away into a valley that you would figure that you wouldn't really get thermals coming off the mountain like you would expect, you know, whether or not you were in like an actual mountain range. But for whatever reason, we had mountain thermals and, and it was really playing with our wind direction. So we were moving our blind around a little bit and it is hard to get brush to build up a blind in Arizona. It is really difficult. Everything's prickly you know, you don't want to cut down much. And so we're trying to, you know, break off dead branches and there's nothing green for filler. And, and we're trying to dig dirt as like berms. And we were, we we're making this blind kind of up this wash, you know, probably 50 yards from where the blind setup was where you harvested your deer. And uh, mm -hmm. I was kind of at the front of the blind trying to, you know, push in some dirt and fill in some of the gaps between the sticks. And all of a sudden, you know, dad's like, don't, don't move there's a deer coming in right behind you I, so I just laid down on the ground and I had a coos doe and fawn walk I don't know they couldn't have been more than eight or nine yards from me mm -hmm. I was just laying there like like a log and, and obviously my camouflage was doing its job because they never spooked and they actually went all the way to water they watered and went all the way back while there was a human being laying like eight yards from them and, that, and that's really quite something when you start to think about how jumpy those coos deer really are yeah, no, it's really funny. Like even the buck that I shot, we we're just sitting there and some deer made their way into the watering hole, did their thing and then left. And 
and then I look over towards Mark, who's to my right, and there's two bucks walking right. They were going to walk right into us. Like yeah. they were going to be right in front of our blind. You probably could have picked a fly off their bum. And uh, Mark didn't even know they were coming. He was looking the other direction. And then by the time they realized that he was there, they turned around and ran off. And my buck, which was in the back, mm -hmm. uh, only ran off because the first one did, which was good because the first one, being all thirsty, decided to come all the way back around and, and still come into the watering hole and ended up getting a shot off. So um, it's crazy how they just pop up out of nowhere. Um, cause like when we'd be walking around there, even, uh, looking for your buck when we were blood trailing and you just, you get out on those big open flats, you just think you'd be able to see them everywhere because we I see know. so many deer in a day. And then it, you just, you can't see anything. It's, it's incredible where they can hide. I know. And I even attempted to do a little bit of still hunting with dad to fill his tag. We were just no luck whatsoever. You could sneak up on a dead coos deer if you wanted to. Yeah, I know. Um, so for today, um, getting off of topic and onto the actual topic, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about bear hunting. Uh, just been watching some of our old hunts that are on the channel, um, editing some new stuff for the channel. Uh, it's a lot of reminiscing, a lot of getting amped up, getting the itch to go bear hunting. Um, are you as excited about it as I am? Yeah, you know, it's something that you kind of anticipate every year. This, I don't know whether or not this feels like a longer draw between, you know, your November hunting season until about now in Alberta, or whether or not it goes from June until August. But I feel like this is the longest drought. You know, you're in these, you know, kind of, you know, I don't know exactly how to put it, these down cold winter months. And you just, you can't wait to not, first of all, just feel the warmth of spring. But to be able to get out there and get back and, you know, and enjoy the outdoors. You hear the buzz of the mosquitoes. Oh, man. <laughs> it's not too bad for the usually the first two weeks of May, but that's when the bear hunting is tough. And uh, boy, once the bear hunting gets good, the mosquitoes get something bad, don't they? Yeah, I was just going to say that when the mosquitoes get bad, it's time to get out in the woods, mm -hmm. which sounds kind of uh, backwards. But I know last year on our hunt that the mosquitoes were terrible. I was amazed that we managed to uh, put up with what we did for the the time that we were out there. You know, it, it just was a miracle that uh, bug spray works as good as it does because I'm pretty sure it, we were dousing ourselves 10 times more than I'd ever put cologne on. That's for sure. Yeah. We were pretty shiny looking. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand when we were doing those stocks, if our wind wasn't perfect, those stocks were completely butchered. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know what? I know that's given that you know not every stock was perfect no a lot of them were bad man we seen how many bears did we say we saw in in the three days 80 or something it was a lot of we bears. Had, yeah we had guests we seen i think it was well over 60 plus different encounters yeah absolutely and people would be like well how could you tell and, and when we were out there we we knew because we're spending all day, every day out there. And we knew what areas we saw bears. There's a lot of times where we saw bears. We're like, you know what? We saw that one earlier, uh, whether it was a sow with cubs or just, uh, I remember that one bear that had three legs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We knew Can't forget that, that one. was every time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it was, it was a fun hunt. Uh, but this year, um, what, what are the plans for this year? I'd love to go back up there and spot and stalk more bears. If, if we get the chance during the rut, that's phenomenal. Um, but then uh, we're also going to maybe try doing some baiting. Yeah, for sure. So 
generally when you're trying to videotape spot and stock, it, it isn't a super hard thing to achieve with a bow, but it, it definitely presents a lot more of a challenge than when uh, you go into a baiting situation. So this year we're going to try and run a few baits and uh, see if we can't run some success doing that. So out of the two methods, what do you prefer? You know, personally, I get more amped up on a spot and stock experience. A lot of people, you know, want to discredit you guys, you know, for, uh, for, you know, whether or not you guys are driving or quadding, you know, when you spot the bear, then you get out and then you make your stock. Mm -hmm. But in Alberta, you don't really get a lot of choice given how thick the bush is. And, you know, that's given where you spot your bear. Sometimes there could be a, a beautiful green 20 yard wide hotline or cut line, you know, 50 yards away from that bear, but he might be in the ditch, you know, on that logging road. And then when he is, you know, you don't generally look a gift horse in the mouth. You, you take your opportunity when you get it. And uh, that's why lots of times when we encounter a bear, we end up having to do it from a road. Yeah. No, and that's completely fair. And then by the legal definition, the roads or roads that we hunt on, are uh, they're not actually roads they're old logging roads uh, lease roads from oil companies uh, they're not maintained if they are it's by the logging or oil companies mm -hmm. um, and so that that people think that you're hunting on these busy highways I mean where we were last year we saw maybe two vehicles the entire time we were there and they were workers yeah yeah I mean we you know a lot of people oh you know you're shooting you know, whether or not they say that you're shooting down the road or whatever, but we always know what's in our surroundings. Always. Absolutely. You know, you never go to take a shot without knowing what your backdrop is ever. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, hunting a, a you know, a cut block, a, a lease road, whether or not you're hunting a farmer's field, you always got to know what your backdrop is. And, and that doesn't change for us no matter what the situation. Well, and there's that saying that uh, a camera doesn't ever do terrain justice. And another part of that, when you're in filming your hunts, the camera angle doesn't exactly show everything that's around you. Like the hunter's angle is always different than the cameraman's angle. Uh, you, you guys prove that even more with the Alabama hunt because mm -hmm. the hunter would get a good shot angle, but the cameraman isn't entirely on the deer. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing with every animal that we hunt. And so a person doesn't realize that just because you can only see so much with the camera doesn't mean that the hunter isn't aware of the complete surroundings. Yeah. And, and if a lot of people seem to, to not understand is that the camera's almost never over top of the, the you know, the hunter, or the shooter's shoulder, almost never, mm -hmm. you know, like it's just not really realistic in a lot of hunting situations. And that's exactly what you're getting at. Yep. 100%. And, uh, so between baiting and uh, spot and stock, I would say that we've probably taken more bears on spot and stock hunts uh, mm -hmm. just because we've done that more. Um, but even like baiting, I've only killed one bear over a bait. We've done it a lot more than just that one hunt. Um, but I've only found success the one time, a little bit because we were being picky. Um, but you shot a huge bear over a bait once. Yeah, I did. And unfortunately, I don't believe we uh, we got good enough camera footage to be able to show that on uh, Sager Outdoors. But it was an incredible hunt, you know, and uh, that bear, he did rattle me something fierce. He was a, a big boar, you know, he come lumbering in and uh, I, uh, I can't really explain what happened. You know, just got, you know, a little bit too amped up and uh, I missed the bear. I did pretty much like right under the tree and, and I didn't compensate for the angle and, and what had happened was that bear he, he knew that we were in the area 
and he was kind of trying to look for us and i think that's what rattled me more than anything and he went straight to the base of our tree and i shot basically leaning over my pat my you know my platform and my tree stand to try and shoot down at the bear now, i didn't miss him by much i mean i i probably took hair off the side of his body but he uh he kind of ran off you know into the into the brush and circled around and about 15 minutes later he came back out and i was able to, to get him with a open sights lever action 30 30 lever action wasn't it a bolt action uh yeah actually i think yeah that, that would spencer's be, uh, grandpa's gun wasn't it yeah that, exactly that's exactly that's what right. it was yeah i can't remember when he told me that he got that gun but i think it was somewhere in the 1930s yeah well that's that's pretty cool i just remember that because uh because i was thinking a 30 30 that's not lever action that was uh that was weird but uh now looking into uh uh, the bear hunting persona everybody has these these misconceptions about bear hunting and i think it's it's mostly people that just don't like bear hunting um mm-hmm. like people say that uh baiting is easy or it's unfair now a lot of people bait deer um it's actually mm-hmm. very popular we grew up in alberta and still live in alberta where it's illegal to bait deer um so for us it was kind of a surprise to realize that so many people did in different states or provinces and with bears like you can bait bears here we didn't do it a whole lot like we just said um now it is easy if you want to shoot a bear right Mm -hmm. it's not like it's a huge challenge to shoot any single bear uh, over bait now a big one it's a huge challenge you know and given that i think the same all those factors still apply to to white-tailed deer in saskatchewan if you want to shoot a deer over a bait it's not difficult 100%. 100%. And if you want to I shoot a big deer. Yeah. And know. I was listening to another podcast the other day and, and they made a good point that um, majority of hunting is strategic luck. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, where an animal's frequenting, you don't really know a hundred percent if they're going to come by when you're there, but you try to plant yourself in the right spot for that right time. Um, like in Saskatchewan, I shot my biggest buck ever. And we only had pictures of him in the dark first morning. We sat there. He came out at like nine in the morning. Right. And if you're not there, you miss it. Mm-hmm. But if you are there, you capitalize. And with bears, a lot of that's the same thing. We got this one big bear uh, up where we're baiting and we're trying to get him. And every year this bear comes in once in the daylight. And if you're not there, you'll never see him again because he disappears and only comes in in the dark from then on. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's not easy. It's, it's like, if you come home and, and, there's just like a pizza sitting on your counter and you're like okay i didn't put that there wonder how that got there you're hungry and you might go check it out you might open the box but it might take you a little bit before you take a bite you know Mm -hmm. and i I know what you mean yeah exactly but if a little kid comes in and sees pizza sitting on the counter he's gonna go right to it yeah he's not even gonna ask a question it's the same thing with bears the same thing with deer and all these other animals and so this idea that baiting is unfair, like the big reason that people do it is so that you can get a closer shot. And for people like us, it's so that you can get good footage, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're relying on getting good footage and a person doesn't realize how difficult it is to actually get good kills on camera. Yeah. It takes a kind of all the stars to align. I mean, when we're hunting every hunt that we have on YouTube, Mm-hmm. all the stars had to align to a certain degree every stock that works out every shot placement that works out everything there's always a star that has to align for everything absolutely like um we got that one hunt from last spring on uh, slager outdoors youtube channel and 
we were spot and stalking we get so much criticism about the road thing but like we just said that they're not actually roads they're just ways for people to get to access points for oil leases and logging points and all that stuff but just because we showed us walking up the road on a bear like that bear that you shot that entire situation was mind-blowing the entire time that we were walking up on that bear i was like man i don't think this is gonna work and yeah, he just it, didn't pay any attention to us. He was so distracted by that sow that we were able to walk right down the middle of that road where it was nice and quiet. He couldn't hear us. The wind was in our face, which was a first because where we were hunting there, it was either perfect or completely wrong. And we got close enough to get you to get a shot off with your bow. Yeah, I mean, don't, you know, a lot of people wouldn't understand that that was probably stock number 30 or 40 at that point in the hunt. Absolutely. You know, like we had stalked and stalked and stalked, and that was by far the best situation we had. And it was given that it was the biggest bear that we actually seen that entire trip. It was just all the stars aligned. And I mean, it, my reaction after I had harvested that bear, it was true because I was in such awe of the fact that that stock even worked out. I didn't, the whole time I went up the road too, I couldn't believe that it was actually working. I'm like, there's no way, like you can even hear me on the video say, we don't have anything here that can shoot 125 yards. We had an open size 30-30 and we had my compound bow. And that bear was big enough, I would have shot him with something that could reach out to 125 yards. But at that point, you know, it just that, that went to show that in that situation, I was getting ready to, to compromise because I didn't think it was going to work. Yeah, exactly. And we love our bow hunting, but when it comes down to it, it's, uh, it's, it's get it done. Right. Yeah. When it's a do or die situation, I'm not going to die. No, exactly. And, um, yeah, I just, even just reliving that hunt, I can remember that bear comes out on the road and it starts following the sow the opposite direction. And, uh, that was upwind of us mm -hmm. and it just, we just walked, followed it all the way down the road. We walked, what, a mile following well, the stairs down the road? It had to be. And I remember when he came out of the bush and I looked at you and I'm like, what are we going to do? Like the situation was, was so unusual to what we had usually encountered stalking those bears. And I was like, man, what are we going to do? And the whole time I was thinking if they step off the road and into the trees, it's over. Yeah. Because then they're gone. Yeah. Cause you can't chase those bears in those trees. We tried a few times on that hunt. Yep. you know, to try and follow bears into the, into the woods and see if we could get close to them. Every time we either spooked them or we never found them. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it, it's too thick. Yeah. It was one of those situations. And like, we do it enough that and when you, you hunt bears enough and spot and stalk them enough, like we do, you're, you're good at it. Right. And that's not us being on our high horse. Like we put in an honest effort. There was a few stalks that we showed where we got right up on the bears and didn't take a shot because maybe we, uh, the bear wasn't big enough. Um, there was a couple times where the bears were rubbed really bad and we just didn't want to shoot that bear. Um, mm -hmm. There was that one that we walked up to uh, that I had my bow and we got right up to 30 yards. Sometimes I wish I would have shot that bear, um, but it's so hard to judge them sometimes. Whereas like your bear comes out, we're like, yeah, I know that one's a really good bear. And I think we're going to, going to definitely take a chance at, at shooting this one. Right. It also helped that we had a sow to judge the size of him off of. Yeah, big time. And she wasn't a small sow. No, she was a good sized sow. And, and, you know, because my bear was with her, it was easy to be able to, you know, judge body size to body size. And the bear that we had stocked up on, on you, you know, for you with your bow, you know, it, 
it's tough when you don't really necessarily have a, a bait barrel there to, to be able to compare the size of the body to, or, you know, something, you know, like another bear, like we just didn't have anything to be able to judge the size of the body off of. And, and you can tell how much bug spray we were wearing because as soon as the wind switched, man, that bear was like, what is that? It didn't even look at us. No, it, it kind of half cocked its head towards us and it was gone. Yeah. It caught a whiff of us and it decided that that was not the place to be anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, we, we stock so much. And that, that's just the thing. Like spot and stock isn't easy either. There's so many chances. Like we saw over 60 bears. Um, we only killed two. We only mm-hmm. had successful stocks on maybe six. Yeah. Right. So it's not like it's super easy. We, we had chances and we had situations where it just didn't work out. And so for people to think that it's just super easy to do that or super easy to, to hunt over a bait, like I, I honestly think that it's just people that don't like to hunt bears or don't like bear hunting in general. Um, but then there's also people that run them with dogs, which is illegal here. And it's illegal in a lot of places. And I don't know about you, but like for me personally, I'd probably give it a try. We've done it on mountain lions. So I don't see why, um, hunting bears with dogs would be um, much different. Not that I would do it all the time, but I would definitely uh, come along on a hunt or partake in one. Well, hunting with hounds is a really unique experience. And a lot of it, you know, the credit goes to the houndsman and the hounds. It doesn't necessarily go to the hunter, but that doesn't take anything out of the hunting experience. No, absolutely. It doesn't just because it's in a tree when you get there. Uh, or cornered or however the situation is it doesn't mean that there wasn't a lot of effort or work that went into getting to that point Mm -hmm. and sometimes you know it'll take a dog that has 10 15 years of experience yep you know like that that 10 or 15 years that that's not an overnight thing a lot of people don't just because it looks easy on the video it doesn't mean it was ever that easy for us no, exactly. And like with the cougar hunting, uh, a lot of our cat hunts are pretty old. And back then everything was uh, filmed and edited in such a way that people just want to see the kill, right? They just want to see you get to the kill and, and get to the animal wherever it is and then shoot it and then recover it and talk about it. Nowadays, everybody wants to see you stub your toe or twist your ankle on the way up the hill, see you panting, panting and sweating and, and all the difficulty that's going into this because they want a, a more real experience instead of just the rush and the thrill mm-hmm storyline yeah exactly yeah um now i want to dive into um your first bear hunt now you you've been on a few different bear hunts i know uh growing up when i got into going hunting you were tagging along all the time uh, you got to watch my first bear kill uh, you mm-hmm. got to watch me miss the first bear uh, which was probably just nerves. I don't even, you know, 12 years old, or I guess I was 13. I don't even remember what caused me to miss. Um, but then you also got to see, uh, I remember that big bear that dad shot in the cut block when we were moose hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, and then uh, you you got to the age where you could hunt and we went after bears. And uh, what was it like to shoot your first bear? You know, it uh, bear hunting was so different compared to all the hunting that we had done for deer and, and you know in the spot and stock aspect of bear hunting it made it a, you know it makes it a really big thrill for for young new hunters yeah i think it just the way that it impacts you the the ability to spot and stalk an animal like because with white-tailed deer i mean you can do it and it has to be a perfect situation but it's just not like bear hunting it's more Bears, interactive 
yeah, bears give you an opportunity to interact with them a lot more, you know, especially even on baits, you know, even if your presence is known on occasion, sometimes bears are okay with it. There's never been a time when a white-tailed deer was okay with the human presence. No, never. You know, and, and so when I was able to harvest my first bear, just previous before I had actually shot that bear previous that night, we were uh, going through a cup block and, and there was a colored bear that was in it and, and dad ended up shooting it and harvesting it. But I had lined up on that bear and I was going to be the shooter and I was just too rattled. I, you know, the bear was probably, you know, low 200s as far as yardage, you know, somewhere in that 225 range. Mm -hmm. And I just was not steady enough to be able to harvest that bear. And I've never passed up a lot of shots in my hunting career, but that was one of the ones that I did pass up. And generally, whenever I feel like ethics is a huge question in the shot, I usually at that point, you know, put the gun down or, or give the gun to someone else because it's not worth wounding the animal. Never is. No, absolutely. You want to make sure that you're taking as good of a shot and doing your job as the hunter uh, or harvester to make a clean ethical kill. Um, and you don't want to put the animal through any sort of pain. And like it's, in hunting, you're going to run into misses. You're going to run into bad shots. If you do it long enough and you make enough shots on animals, that kind of stuff does happen. But it was a good thing that you passed off the gun and dad ended up shooting that bear. And it was the first of a, a triple header that night where him, yourself and me all shot bears. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was uh it was a pretty intense evening, you know, that's back in that country before it was all locked out and a lot of the bears were still in the bush there. And I, man, it was pretty much everywhere we turned, there was bears. Yeah. It was an awesome experience. I, I remember um, it's like every corner you went around, there was another bear and mm -hmm. like, we still go back to that area and it's getting better since they wiped out all the trees. Uh, it's still not quite where it used to be. Uh, our new spot that we go to now is a lot like that place used to be, mm -hmm. uh, which is awesome. And that's why uh, we put in the effort and the time in, in that spot. Um, but getting into baiting will be a lot of fun this year. I'm excited to, to get into setting up some of the baits um, and then sitting there and, and hopefully getting some bow kills on camera. That would be awesome. Yeah, uh, for spot, sure. Spot and stock's a lot of fun. Uh, it's difficult to get a bear with a bow on a spot and stock, especially one of a good size. Yeah, you know, like I said, there's a lot of factors that go into a spot and stock hunt, even on a bait hunt, you know. Hunting is hunting, and it's called hunting for a reason. It's not called killing. No, it doesn't matter not. what situation you're in or what, you know, type of hunting you're doing. You know, there's always a challenge for everything. Yep, there is. You know, so with baiting, I find a lot of the challenge is, is setting up the bait, maintaining it. It's a lot of work. Yeah, and setting up a stand that's uh, in a good enough vantage point where you're not going to have to worry about wind, uh, distance, um, objects or trees or limbs in your way. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of factors that go into it. But I, as far as it goes, I have a lot of fun bear hunting and I'm going to do it every year in my life. You know, and lots of the time you're doing it also for population control because there is a lot of black bears in the province of Alberta. And if you go to the right place, they're, they're way outnumbered than what they should be. Yeah, and a lot of people think that there's not really that many, but most of the people hunting bears don't really like to go very far to find them. So you, no. you go in these close areas where everybody's going because they're easily accessible and you don't find as many bears, you don't find big bears because everybody's shooting the first one that looks huge. It's no different than deer or any other animal. They see one, they're like, oh, it's a giant and they shoot. And they're like, oh, well, it wasn't as big as I thought. And then 
you get enough people doing that and there's uh, a lot of smaller animals in that population but if you go a little bit further and you put a little more effort um, and time you can actually find stuff uh, find animals that are of a better quality yeah and i and touching on the subject of population control as well as a lot of the cougar hunting that we did was all kind of in the same region in Alberta. And in that region at that time, the deer numbers were really, really low. Yeah, they were bad. Yeah, they were really hurting. And that was because of the, the absolute outrageous number of mountain lions that were in that area. And since the mountain lions have been thinned out in that area a little bit more, and, and you know, their population is doing a lot better because there is more deer to be able to hunt for them. But the deer population has really rebounded in that area. I've heard from multiple people that the deer population is great and the hunting's gone way better for, you know, for anyone who's looking to hunt deer and the mountain lion population is still doing really well. Well, and the bears are taking out fawns in the spring and moose calves is a huge mm -hmm. one. We've seen it time and time again, where we're out hunting bears in the spring and you come across a cow moose that uh, is pregnant and she's sweating and distressed and standing in the middle of a road like, a, a, like they shouldn't be. And that's typically because there's a bear on her tail pressuring her to the point where she's uncomfortable, aborts the calf, and then the bear eats the calf and the moose moves on with its life. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other part of it too, like where we're cougar hunting, uh, there's bears there, there's wolves there, there's coyotes there. Like there's a lot of pressure on the, the grass eaters that people don't realize you really do need to do a number on the predators. Yeah, and, and it doesn't just go for cougars, it goes for wolves and bears in that area as well. And a lot of people, just because it's not on our channel, just doesn't mean that we're just picking on the mountain lions. Oh, exactly. And just because we put out six or eight hunts in a row that are mountain lions doesn't mean that all we're doing is going out there hunting mountain lions, you know? Yeah, and I mean, that can be over a five or a 10 year, you know, period of time. Exactly. Um, and that's something cool that we're going to try and do this year is... Uh, doing some live videos from the bear stand if uh if the cell phone service permits i guess mm -hmm. and then uh, people can watch some bear activity live on the bait uh maybe even a kill if we get lucky enough i guess yeah it'd be cool yeah i know it'll be a lot of fun and i think uh i think there's a lot to look forward to it seems like it was going to be an early spring but now all of a sudden we got all this nasty weather so who knows what's gonna happen um but we're gonna make the most of it i'm sure yeah, for sure. No, it'll be a good time. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for sitting down and doing this podcast. Uh, it's not too terribly long. I think it'll be a, a good one for people who have a shorter attention span. Um, but to those listening, go check out the Slager Outdoors channel. We got a couple bear hunts. We got one from uh, two years ago where Spencer shot his biggest bear and I shot my biggest bear. And that one's doing pretty good on there. It was a phenomenal hunt. We actually filmed it with our cell phones of all things. I don't know who came up with that idea. Oh man. I want to say it was probably Spencer. Yeah, it might've been. He's, he comes up with some of those ideas. It's pretty fun. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad that uh, we decided to do that because it was an awesome hunt and we had some pretty cool close encounters on that one. Yeah, we did. Uh, and then we got the hunt that we were talking about from last year where I shot uh my first and so far only bear with a muzzleloader. You shot that awesome boar with a bow. It was such a mm -hmm. cool stock and an awesome hunt. Uh, then we got, man, I got my bear from uh, my first bear with, and only bear so far with a bow. That one was over a bait. 
Uh, there's a bear hunt from dad over the bait. Uh, just some really good hunts on there. And uh, we got more that are slated to come out. So you want to make sure you check out Slager Outdoors on YouTube. Uh, I'll put a link in the description for this video for that. And then, uh, yeah, lots of good stuff coming out. Yeah, lots no, we're pretty excited with being able to put out some new content and uh, show everybody our adventures in the bush. Yeah, it's been a good break, but uh, it's also exciting to get back into it. It's fun to look back at the, the video footage. A person doesn't realize how much they missed that part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I've always found it interesting with hunting. I can be in a situation where I could, it could be cold and I could be soaking wet from getting rained on all day. And, I, you know, you could sit all day, is, you know, bored out of your mind. And the moment you get out of that tree, the first thing you want to do is get back in it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny too, because even uh, you remember that uh, where dad's tub trailer on the quad fell apart. Yeah, I remember. And I was hiding behind the camera on that hunt, or not even, it wasn't even a hunt. We were just going to rebait. I think we maybe were going to hunt, but the bait was like, it wasn't even barely hit. I think maybe one bear had come by. And uh, he was so mad when that, that trailer fell apart. And you couldn't even tell on camera. And I was like, man, I just I want to hide behind this camera and just capture all this on film so that I don't have to deal with him being grumpy. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. When you're in front of the camera, it's a whole different limelight. Absolutely. It's a lot of pressure. There's absolutely nothing that you do in front of that camera that won't be, you know, it's all captured. Every mistake you make, every every you know bad decision that you make when you're in the woods it's caught on camera and it sometimes can make us look really stupid yeah it can or it makes you look awesome and then if you edit it in a certain way some people look like they're uh, um, superstars but we like to make it as as real and legit as possible and and bring it kind of just as it is you know yeah 100 percent. ah right on well uh you can follow me at on the blood trail on instagram facebook um Oh, and the Go Wild app. I got to get you on that. It's a pretty cool app. It's just hunters, uh, mm -hmm. hunting, fishing, all everything hunting related. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, so at On The Blood Trail, it's on uh, Go Wild app, Instagram, Facebook. Slager Outdoors is at Slager Outdoors on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, doing YouTube lives uh, about every Tuesday, I think, is the goal. Uh, if it works out to be that way. So you want to make sure you're catching on those. And uh, yeah, you got anything else to add? No, I think that's about it. Appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, right on. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being a part of it. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Yeah, sounds good. Talk to you later. Yeah, till next time.